0: what are we doing here this morning brother
1: well here was my thought i was giving this some thought and i was gonna call you last night and i was gonna call you this morning and then I, I thought no that's the whole point of this it's just you and me just being you and me talking about about i think we can call it labor goes to the movies but i got some tv shows that i want to oh, talk sure. about okay yeah. and and maybe you want to talk about chick korea you yeah. Probably want to try and give it some sort of labor angle, but you know whatever some kind of labor. <laughs> he was working hard, chick was
0: yes he was yes he was mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, no, I thought we would do is uh and especially for this first one, um actually, what I wanted to talk about was uh i, I hadn't quite figured out the intro um we can just do, hey, this is Labor goes to the movies with Chris Garlock and Elise Bryant, yeah. or maybe it's just we go to the movies with Chris and Elise. That's that's more informal. Maybe that's are you, are you comfortable with that?
0: I do like Labor
1: goes to the movies. I know. No, no, Labor goes to the movies. But when I say Labor goes to the movies with Chris and Elise, I mean oh yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, that's the full type. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then we just talk about whatever it is that we're thinking about, because we watch all different kinds of things, uh, especially these days. <laughs> yeah, hey, so one of the things I wanted to ask, we got a couple of minutes before Danny joins us, so uh, you know, what got you I you know your theater, your music, but a lot of people don't know that you're really into movies as well, which is a very. I think for most people, like music has a sort of a seriousness a and a some more chewiness to music, right? And theater, theater is the same. I think movies are very much more accessible, and I think people in general don't take them as seriously. And so I think people are sort of surprised, and certainly TV, which we're going to talk about, right? So you know, if you talk about it, and, and most people don't you know really like to talk about what were their favorite what they call them um, secret pleasures. Okay. So
0: guilty what pleasure.
1: Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasures. thank you, thank you. So what, what got you, what, what, why do you love movies? I had
0: not thought about it until you asked this question, but the moment you asked the question, I thought, oh, I got it. I remember being five years old and walking into the Flick Theater, which was the local theater in our community <laughs> in Detroit. Actually, we didn't have one in Southwest Detroit. We had to go to River Rouge and Ecorse to get to, and Wyandotte, it was like that little corner of Detroit that used to be Italian-Polish and it somehow never got a movie theater, but just across the border in the next two cities, which remained all white up until, I think they mostly are still, had the movie theater. So anyway, anyway but, the, but the flick was the one that was, there was an e but we could go to, it was walkable distance. And I went with my parents and I remember holding my, my father's hand and saying, it was Prince Valiant. And the movie had just started. So there were giant horses. And I, and I, and my, because my family would retell the story too. And I remember it exactly, standing there going, Look, it's a giant TV. But I remember also that color, because I think all we had was black and white TV. I could be wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we just had a black and white TV. Mm-hmm. And so this giant, the horses the color of the horses you could see the horses muscles and their skin and the the blue of Prince Valiant's tunic was like magic to me and I just I was just in it and of it and it was the one form of entertainment that we could do on Sunday that my parents would allow us to do give us a nickel each and we'd go to the movies
1: so interesting. So it was a transporting, I can just see the little Elise Bryant, you know, <laughs> with a little nickel and your little paw going to the movies.
0: Yep. And we went by ourselves. This is the, back in the day when children could walk the streets by themselves. We would walk basically, I think, from, from your house to, to downtown Tacoma Park.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, by ourselves. And how old were you?
0: Five, six, seven,
1: eight, up until we were teenagers. Wow. So just here's a nickel, at least go to the movies.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't drop us off. They wouldn't.
1: You walk your own damn self. <laughs> I ain't got so time for that.
0: Like, I'm driving my son and my daughter to school. Like, really? I know, right? Cool. It's like right down there. <laughs> and then when it was too far to walk. We got on the bus.
1: So just... do you remember, were there any particular movies that you liked? Or it was just whatever was there? You, you just...
0: Oh, yeah, Uh, Prince Valiant, the creature from the Black Lagoon.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was
0: like the first scary movie I saw.
1: That would, I actually have seen that since, and it's cheesy, but it's still scary.
0: Yeah, I bet. But that, when that Cooper hand comes up out of the water, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but we didn't see, I love, uh, absolutely love uh, The King and I. Mm hmm, mm hmm. And I I know, at least I've identified this, was that there were so few people of color in films. So it was like, Yul Brenner was it. And he was really, what is he? Like Serbian, Croatian or something?
1: You know, I actually saw, we would go to visit my grandparents in New York City once a year, and they would do stuff like take us to the theater, which was waste. I was like that same thing. I was like five or six and and you know, but I do remember, I mean, we saw uh, The King and I with, with Yul Brynner. Now, we were up in the, we were up in the, I know, we were up in the balcony. But I even then, I could see this was a cool thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I just, I don't remember the acting. I just remember the music. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, no, the music is powerful. Hi, Danny. How are you? Danny yeah. <laughs> he's, he's live. Good to see you, brother. Thanks. It's it's early where you are, right?
2: Not too bad, eight-ish.
1: okay, all right.
2: I'm so, an early riser
1: yeah we're this is a very casual show. This is just uh, Chris and Lise hanging out talking. We we're just talking about how Elise, uh, when she was uh, a child five years old, her parents would give her a nickel on, 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 on Sunday just on Sundays right that That's when yeah so actually let let's ask Danny the same question, so yeah yeah, what, why do you love movies get? What, what's what's your uh, movie's origin story?
2: Wow. Man, this is a classic. So, I guess it was 1977, and remember, I'm in Winnipeg, Canada, and I grew up 200 miles north of here. Way little town called Ethelbert. It never had more than like a thousand people, and there's maybe 200 there now. But it had the most incredible movie theater. The biggest building where people could gather was the movie theater. Hmm. It had to sit, I'm sure you could put half the town at that time in the theater. It was big, it was really big and it was run by really good friends of our family. I went to school with Bev, her family owned the theater. Remember Bev would be shoveling popcorn and this was the day, we're talking it's heyday was before VHS and (sighs) Every show on the weekend, including two o'clock on a Saturday. Remember, this is a farming community. The place is packed. Bev and her dad were just like shoveling the popcorn. And I saw a lot of movies there. And small towns weren't as dead as they are now. And it was the place to be. Like, you may as well have been in Hollywood or New York. Like, it was awesome. And I remember them having first run movies, not months after, but like then, but as much as the big centers. So here's my story about that night in, it's probably June, 1977.
1: Star Wars. Oh my God, yes. Home. Oh, oh, yes. oh. And it, oh, oh. it
2: was <laughs> so huge, even in that small farming community, get this, for the afternoon, school was off. The whole school trounced over to Bev's movie theater, like the whole school. And we watched it at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday or whatever it was. I think oh it was Friday. And remember sci-fi movies before that where you just kind of knew even as a kid, it wasn't quite real or whatever. This felt so real. And I guess I was responding to the cool tech of the way they made the ships, whatever. Oh my God, I was uh, lock, stock and barrel. So get this. Then I said to my parents, I got to go again. And they were like, we can't take it. I said, just dump me off at night. So I went to this six o'clock show. With the same day? Same day. And then it let out my brother's, to pick me up. And here's where it gets really interesting. It was getting stormy, like super duper prairie tornado stormy. Yeah. And I said, just go home, come back. I want to see the third
1: show. <laughs> Danny, Danny had gone down to Star Wars rabbit holes.
2: And then get this, there was actually a tornado about a mile away from town. That's how stormy it was. I didn't know anything. I was in Star Wars Land.
1: Star Wars oh Land. Oh God, that's a great. But the weird Star
2: thing is, Wars. I'm not the biggest, like I'm not a Star Wars right. reek, some people are. It's that first movie that doesn't, call it the fourth, whatever. There's just something
1: magical about that. It's a funny thing that I was remembering. I remember this, I actually saw that cause it came out in the summer. I was working at summer camp that year, 70, 77. And I didn't know anything about it. Plus, what's up in the Adirondacks, and we cut, I mean, there's no, of course, no internet. There's no, I didn't, and there was the one theater in town. In fact, it's interesting, the theater was one of those uh, sort of hangar things that they had built back during, uh, I think beforehand, it had been something for the military. It was uh, one of those round round things. Very, very large, but very basic. And, but in and, and, uh, summer camp on a Saturday night, you just, you didn't even ask what the movie was. You just went. You yeah. know, big moose up in the Adirondacks and you just went. And uh, we were in the, we were in the parking lot beforehand. Somebody had gotten hold a, a little, some ripple, as I recall. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, so I'm 17. I don't know anything about drinking. So we go in there and I'm a little, and that first thing when it starts with the stuff coming, with the big titles coming at you and then the shit coming at you. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I was, mes- I was just like, oh, this was, I was like right down there. And at least, by the way, and you wouldn't know this, but at least is a huge. You're more of a star- You're more of a Trekkie, not so much yeah. with the Star Wars, but the you're point okay point with point. Star Wars too, right?
0: Yes, yes, I had to because it was, and I, I still do this. If it's a popular film, I will go see it, even if it's not my genre. Even, even I don't care. And I had to see Star Wars because everybody was talking about it, so
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I went to see it. Yeah. So what are, and and we will get to, to stand at some point, but what, what are some of your other favorite movies, Danny? Things that you go back to again and again.
2: Of course it's musicals. Like soon after Star Wars, it was Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, Uh, that was my first purchase on iTunes of a movie in the cloud. So you could just watch it all the time. And As much as it's derided, whenever I saw it at that age for the first time, Sound of Music, I was just like so sold on it. And I even at that age got that, now don't laugh when you hear me say this that Sound of Music had a bit of a subversive
1: edge. <laughs> All right, well, let, me, let me stop there because uh, the actor uh, who was in Sound of Music just so help me because I've seen it like, I'm not even sure I've ever seen the whole movie. I've seen bits and pieces. I, I don't get that movie. I don't get why it's popular. It's also about the whitest movie I've ever seen. Oh yeah. So, and at least you can jump into it, but help me to understand why is this movie so damn popular?
2: It's the
0: songs.
1: Okay. Is that a roll eye or is that a thinking eye? I thinking
0: <laughs> wow. It was a thinking eye. Cause really I, I was, yeah, it's one of the, It's I know how popular it is. I've actually never seen it.
1: <laughs> Whoa, the secrets that come out in this show. Yeah, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, and, and
0: I saw it because of its popularity. Uh, and I know the songs, the songs right. are very popular and all that. But yeah, it's really- It's exciting.
2: a couple of things. Like, I mean, Julie Andrews, does a really good job in a kind of thankless mm-hmm. role. Christopher Plummer, as much as there's this like lore about how much he hated it, he called it the sound of phlegm, blah, blah, blah.
0: I didn't know that. Believe
2: it or not, here's what I just read recently. As saccharine as it is, compared to the real story, he actually brought an edge to it because all the other potential candidates, all the people who had played the role before, were just ineffectual. So he, he was credible and he walked back his objections to it. But here's what's subversive about it. It really is about this family doing a very dangerous underground kind of thing. And although it's really whitewashed in the movie, for its time, it still does a good job. The songs hold up. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's going to be popular. I like the Les Mis movie. I didn't think it was perfect. There's certain. Yeah. Uh, the recent one, yeah. Yeah. Certain actors who shall remain nameless that aren't great singers. But it doesn't matter. Cinematically, that I
0: found fascinating.
1: Uh, sure. Tell me more. Tell me what.
0: Again, I've, I've, not, I've never done analysis on it. I really thought about it. But I, I, it just, it captured me. The the images, the the power of the images, the the coloring of the film was
2: very beautiful.
0: Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And- Poverty porn? was that?
2: Some people call it poverty porn. Like it makes much of the sort of Dickensian, just healthy poverty. But it's still probably pretty accurate. There's some just great performances. Anne Hathaway has been derided for other roles. You can't for what she does in that movie. Like she just leaves it all out there.
0: She does, she does. I wouldn't wouldn't give her anything before that. And it really didn't make me go see the other ones after that, but in that moment I thought, oh no, no, she's got this. She is really flowing real in her grief.
2: And she's a killer singer. To be able to act and sing is a tough thing. At the same
0: time, yeah, yeah, not very few, few people can do that, and it's really uh-huh. hard.
1: But one of the things I was actually thinking, and this will take us to stand a little bit, and it, maybe it's just me because I just notice weird things, but I thought that the all the characters and it was their their clothes were not for the time should have been a lot dirtier. You're
2: talking about stand?
1: I am talking about stand.
2: Okay, so we had major debates around the table. Okay, tell us because I- there's the poverty porn, laymiz school, which is take the clothes, put them in a, a puddle of mud, walk on them, don't wash them, then have the characters put on. I'm
1: in that school.
2: And then the other school is, and this is born by some research. And in the end I'll tell you the very simple thing that happened which just made us go this way. Poor people owned very little wardrobe. They may use the same outfit to go to church and to go to work. If you're a telephone operator, you had one good dress,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you made sure that white shirt that went beneath your sort of pinafore dress was washed and starched. So Poor people weren't slobs if they owned a small wardrobe. So there's a lot of pictures and a lot of research that says, where does this come from of the like rags? Like there's rags, but your average lower class worker still kept two or three things in really nice shape. Your Sunday best, of course, was always and your work thing, if you were an office worker, even if you were like a seamstress or something, you put your hair up nicely in a Gibson girl thing in the era of stand. So there's that school. And that the truly trashy clothing, that was just if you worked in like a factory or a farm. But you're otherwise, you, you took care of your stuff. But for low-budget movies where you rent the costumes not make them they don't really like you trashing them all to hell so that's the honest to god truth
1: uh that that,
2: that if you talk to a rental house about stuff they will always be proponents of the latter theory
1: Okay, I'm fine. And so you may or may not know Elise has been involved in how many labor operas, jazz operas now? Two, three, four, I thought, track.
0: Two, two, two uh, jazz operas and two musicals.
1: So so she always about making these kinds of decisions. And that was, it, it, just having done a little bit of work and I was peripherally involved, it seems like there are so many of those kinds of quote unquote small, but actually big decisions that you have to make. Yeah. Yeah. That are not just artistic decisions, but like, in the end, you're renting the costumes and they're not going to want them back all trash. Elise is smiling. You get that, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah.
2: I remember looking out the window of the production facility that we were renting for our offices and looking out into a, a gravel parking lot with puddles and out walked one of our costume assistants and just chucked him in the puddle and she was walking (laughs) over them. And I thought, that's not the rental stock. (sighs) I can also tell in the movie, there were the background performers that we ensured had the very most correct period stuff versus volunteers that showed them up in mass for, Some of the big scenes, there's that difference too. Going back to influential shows, Mm -hmm. I will say that Newsies doesn't do it for me. And we actively sought to go in a different direction. I'm not a lover of the dance musicals, personally. There's a few dance musicals that are dance musicals, but I hate it when there's that Neverland of a musical with lots of dance. That's why I like Les Mis, I like Fiddler. No dance, other than when it's for a a event, like the wedding in Fiddler.
1: So So is it the unnaturalness? What is it that that doesn't work for you?
2: It's like dog and cat people. There are people that like musicals, but then it divides into do you like dance musicals versus non-dance musicals? I just don't like dance musicals. It's just too, it's it's unrealistic as it is. So dance just takes it further. But when the dance is so atypical for the milieu, come on, musies, dancing, <laughs> yes, that's the line I can't cross.
1: You don't think the little urchins were dancing in the streets of New York, really? Yeah. <laughs> and um, then
2: that usually breeds an unrealistic feel through the other stuff. So, Newsies has just never done it for me. God bless Disney for doing a labor musical. I I still can't believe that happened. But so we actively sought not to be like Newsies. So we are either criticized or lauded for our ultra realism. And some people say it's so, so dark. It's so whatever. That's what we were going for.
1: I'm I'm just curious, I'm just hung up a little bit though, so I, because I don't know that I fall easily into any of those schools because I mean it really it's just movie by movie for me. Sometimes yeah. it works and sometimes it doesn't, but for me I don't, the, the breaking into song is unnatural. I mean, unless you're Elise Bryant who breaks into song, she may, <laughs> she may break into song at any moment here, but uh, unless you're hanging around with Elise or somebody else who's really into theater who does start singing, if that doesn't happen, and so when that's so, if you got a movie like Stand where people do break into song, I'm like, if they can break into song, why couldn't they break it? I'm not proponing. I'm not saying yeah,
0: that. No, absolutely. Just, well, I have a theory.
1: Okay, lay it on us.
0: I didn't see Newsies. Oh, uh, as a film, but I did go to the theater production. Yeah, and totally, I,
2: different <laughs> totally
0: different though. Right, totally film. different. Totally different. And this whole idea of breaking out and dance and. The one thing I liked about this production that they did at Arena Stage is that it wasn't all pelvic thrust because now theater choreographies, all the pelvic thrust. everybody's got to do at least 12 pelvic thrusts in, in any, any dance number. It's just a like union
1: thing. contract, least. It's actually...
0: It's got to be. But here, here's the deal is that, and this is about breaking out in song, is that people do sing. It's part of the way that we process as human beings in, in multiple ways. And in and, and European culture as well as African culture and South American culture, it was a part of people's daily lives in work people would sing. And somehow singing got separated from that to performance. And this is the whole classical music thing, yada, yada, it's all written on paper. No, so I go to South Africa, right? This is 2000, I, I, no, 1994, 95, something like that. No, it's 2000. So let me fast forward.
1: <laughs> we're gonna, we'll have our research department check. <laughs> <and see laughs> when she actually right, yeah. So
0: we're on this tour. We're on this tour to plants. Uh, we go to a steel mill. And it's four or five of, of us from the States and then South African trade union activists from various occupations. And, and so for some of them it was the first time being in a steel mill. And I had been in the Ford Rouge plant because I grew up in Detroit and that's where my father worked. But literally, <clears throat> these great giant buckets of steel. were are pulling people like, oh my God. And we go outside and there's this guy pulling these slabs of steel. He's out there by himself in the heat, pulling these slabs of steel off to the ground. And they start singing the people on our tour start singing. Wow. And I said, okay, and I get goosebumps. I, I said to them, what are you singing about? It's always oh, singing that the, the work is nasty and the pay is low, that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, they sang it every coffee break. Wow. They would break in a song, I would say to them, okay, so how, how do you know what part to sing? How do you know, like, like what part to go? Like, how do you know if it's alto, tenor, <laughs> they are like, rick, 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 what you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. They didn't know what I was talking about. So you just sing wherever you are. I realized in that moment, that I was not born in Africa, but Africa was born in me.
3: Mm.
0: And that I can honor that sometimes you just sing because the hurt is so great, because the grief is so strong, because the joy is so good. So I literally opened up the mo- door a couple mornings ago and went, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a be-. nobody's here, nobody's listening. It's just <laughs> and so I think that is a legitimate expression that had, that became commercialized in the theater industry, which was cranking out stuff to keep people pacified and keep people happy. And then same thing in the movie industry. So to see a film like Stan and even the newsies, I mean, that Disney did a unionized oriented film is remarkable. Yeah, you can appreciate it. And we need more of it. And people love it.
1: They do, they do. So
0: Chris, here's what a
2: director said to me about the internal justification that actors need to know about going into song. And this is in no way related to what you just said, because yeah, there's tons of cultures that sing all the time. It seems that the sort of white Anglo culture might be one of the only ones that doesn't. But so that director, Winnipeg director, Ann Hodges, she said something that I'll never forget. She said, as an actor, all you gotta know is there's dialogue and then there's song. If a song is well-earned, it's just dialogue that's gone to the next level of emotion.
1: Wow. Sure, I'll buy that.
2: And I'm sure dancers say the same.
1: So, but, And that leads to another question I should back uh, for you, Danny, which is uh, thinking, it's like I was imagining Little Elise with a nickel in her hand going down to the theater. So now I've got this little picture of Danny sure and his little farming town going to you know, the theater. and you know and seeing god knows what a whole wide world is being brought into your little town and so that must have been that must have in a large part made you who you are today and i'm also wondering so i wanted you to talk a little bit about that but also wondering about where your music comes from because that's a huge part obviously of of who you are
2: so uh, music that's simple that's church like with many Mm -hmm. cultures so, I remember being small. One of my first memories, I was like two and a half or three, and get this memory. So, I'm on my back on the floor, shimmying on my back under the benches of the church. So, I'm going like far, I'm going yards this way and that way. And as I shimmy, I'm looking up old ladies' skirts. It was just like something else. And There's me and my mom didn't notice. But during that whole time, I remember being on my back and just so comforted by the sound of the choral music. You talk about like, how do they know if they take alto or soprano or whatever? I have to say in that little town of Ethelbert, Father Kamenatsky, like right from Ukraine, full on really choral traditional guy. Ukrainian vocal traditions, super duper choral from uh, way back. So that choir was good. I heard the most basso profundo. That's the term for the lowest of the bases. My math teacher, Miroslav Palakati, they called him shorty because he was like five foot two. Honest to God, this guy hit notes. That just made you go. <laughs> and there are some songs, and I have to say the Ukrainian, both the mass, as in during Divine Liturgy stuff, and some of the like the hit parade of the old tunes, they are super catchy. Like they are you hear it one time and you're singing that song forever, mostly very minor key stuff. So I learned about Songwriting on my back in the floor of the church from the time I was three. There is one song. I will send you a mp3 of it, Chris, so you two can both hear it. So the Ukrainian word is vichnaya pamyat. Vichnaya meaning forever, pamyat, memory. So loosely translated as their memory will be eternal. That is the funeral song. Mm. (laughs) you're gonna be a bawling wreck. Because it's a catchy tune, super sad. Like it just makes you cry buckets. And I was an altar boy from the time I was six to 16. Try being an altar boy at a funeral where you have to have a certain sense of decorum. Vichnaya Pamyat starts and I'm just no decorum whatsoever. So I learned the power of music in church. Then my mom was choir director. I was the accompanist there. So I got like right inside those songs. Not only could I hear how good they are, I could see the manuscript and go, oh, that's how that song was built. So all of my songwriting craft I learned by eight or 10 from that stuff. Oh, and then my sister had Elvis, compilation albums
1: then i was done so the ukrainian meets the elvis and and then, yeah. and then we're on to, to danny sure so here's another thing that i was thinking as going off of a thought from elise from earlier about that actually what you're talking about too which is a lot of this culture if you go back before recording right so the culture was you've got your fiddle you've got you've got your church song this is something that we created ourselves because we didn't have recording so ever since you you know we're able to start recording stuff then you're doing you're getting more and more into the performances and you get to Hollywood and all of that sort of control but now that script has been flipped because everybody with an iPhone can TikTok videos as a natural (laughs) or unnatural outgrowth of that but I'm just wondering from a labor perspective from a worker's perspective I think there's a good argument that the means of production has been put back in our hands. And I, I'd love for both of you to react to that.
2: Go ahead, Elise.
0: So I was going to say go, Dan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a firm believer that every local should own the camera that I have. I'm looking at the Blackmagic 6K. It is 2000 bucks.
1: Is that something you can grab and show us? Yeah. Cool.
0: Blackmagic 6K.
1: I want to I see this thing. Lisa's is putting it on her shopping list here.
0: I am. I got poverty porn down here too. I'm looking that up. I'm getting it.
1: That's not what you think yeah. it is, okay? <laughs> really? Okay, so I have to take it off of the... Oh, look at this thing. Look at this is not, see, I, I, this is not nearly what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like, wow.
2: Oh no, no, this is... So I've got a monitor on the top. See that? Uh-huh. which can flip this way or that way, whether you're doing selfies or otherwise. You just need one lens these days. In the old days, you'd need 5,000 bucks of lenses. Now, one of the best lenses in the world is a telephoto. It used to be the telephoto was not the way to go. 18 to 35. So without repositioning the camera, you can go close far. It shoots 6K. In the movie theater, the highest quality you'll ever watch is only 2K HD.
1: So you're talking about resolution, right?
2: Yeah. So you shoot in HD, which is 6,000 pixels wide. What that allows you to do is shoot super duper wide. And in post, you can say, I want to take that third of the frame. And you can still get 2K out of one third of the frame. They now have 12K, which is just silly. Because you can only basically see 4K on any TV. So it's future proof is what I'm getting at. This is 2,000 American dollars. Wow. So I swear to God, every local should make this their hardware purchase. This has democratized the whole industry to the extent that you could shoot a feature. You can shoot shorts. If you wanna do documentary shorts, if you wanna shoot your theater production, you would not believe how good stuff looks in this. There's a whole subculture on YouTube about my favorite black magic 6K camera settings, blah, blah, blah. You would not believe how good it looks. So yeah, the last, it's the last 10 years, but specifically the last two. Actually, 2020 was amazing for the advent of these cameras. You can use an iPhone 12. It's way overpriced for what you get for video. It's good, but it's not as good as one of these. That's my little spiel. I'm not being paid by Blackmagic, I just <laughs> love them.
1: That, uh, yeah, get a little endorsement there, but that. But actually you're, it's a good point because an iPhone 12 is gonna cost almost as much as that camera. Exactly. It yeah. sounds like the camera is just much better, but, that, but I guess one of the things they, that it points up is that, so the technology, and I'm assuming that there's uh, much more accessible, like I've been doing a lot of audio stuff, right? And yeah. any audio people will tell you, you need to use this program or that program. Most of us are just using Audacity. It's a free program. It gets the job done. I'm assuming there's some equivalent for video editing.
2: This comes with DaVinci Resolve for free. Oh, these, okay. These folks are super disruptive. They're like, we wanna put it in the hands of the people. The CEO's this like, Australian disruptor duties at Elon Musk of cameras, Grant, I forgot his last name. And he really believes that just give people the tools. So they give you the incredibly powerful editing program for free when you buy this.
1: Wow. And, and I assume it's something, because it, the the thing that I've noticed is that when you get some of these programs that are incredibly powerful, the learning curve to uh, to and at least knows what I'm talking about. And that's one of the reasons that Audacity, by the way, is so popular. Not only because it's free, but because it's easy to use. You can figure it out in 10 minutes. And some of these other ones that are much more powerful are not only expensive, but the learning curve is just yeah. horrendous. And so I'm well, assuming... With,
2: with video, even the most deceptively easy-looking program like DaVinci, even like Final Cut. There are layers in it where once you go down the rabbit hole, you can get as in-depth as you want to, but they're generally really easy user interfaces.
0: I got a question. Yep. So did you do theater or did you go directly to film?
2: I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, <does> ways. <laughs> I started in theater. All of my musicals, Started. I've written for uh, start on stage and boy oh boy we could have just one session about the difference between live uh-huh. and film and where my heart is when I say there's no substitute for live it's not only is it okay and get into the theory about the way our brains evolved there's lots of research about this But as good as it is speaking to you on a screen, it does not fire the same synapses as when a human is beside you. So forever, a movie musical is gonna be a different experience at a brain level. When we're watching a live theatrical musical, it's like we're talking to someone. That's the part of the brain that fires. So live theater is best. I know that's a commercialized saying, but it really is true. So here's a guy, I can tell you this, I've made my stage musical into a movie. And I love the movie, don't get me wrong. I know what it could have been if we had millions and millions more. I know what it could have been if we could have included the six songs that got cut, because you can't have a three hour long movie But I'll tell you right now, in June of 2019 to the day, the 100th anniversary of the events on which the musical is based, uh, the day, 100 years later, anniversary of Bloody Saturday, to see 2,000 people watching the stage version of this, that will go down for me in my life as the greatest event artistically in my life, there's just nothing like live theater. Holy man.
0: So that's what brought me to the question. The, the, the behind that question was acting in film, it's not the same thing as acting on stage. No. And I know Greg Henry. Oh. I Greg Henry when he was a student at the University of Michigan. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was like, oh my God, it's Greg Henry. Oh, I can't stand it, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. And I thought, okay, I think of Greg as a stage as opposed to theater. That's and I just too, really. if, yeah. If, if, yeah. And I, I know it's done yeah. film, but I just wondered in terms of the other actors, were they stage or were they theater? Were they theater or they were they film?
2: Here, there's so much stage yeah. uh, going on. We have a super well known, Canada's longest lasting outdoor musical theater stage called Rainbow Stage. Wow. So most actors are doing Rainbow Stage in the summer and doing movies otherwise.
0: Gotcha. So okay, yeah, yeah, They're okay. doing both Yeah, yeah. Here. yeah, yeah, yeah
2: but yeah, yeah, I know it's like, never the two shall meet. It's like, I'm theater or I'm film. You certainly can see when a theater actor doesn't have much experience with film because they're just overdoing it like hell. <laughs> and there's a few instances in Stand and critics will say, I was a theater actor going way too far. I don't give a rats. You know, what,
1: Sorry,
2: don't um, worry. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, I totally, uh, I now can see the difference. Whereas 10 years ago when I didn't know so much about, or know the little I know about directing, I couldn't tell the difference between a theatrical flourish and a filmic one. It's just such a different thing when the camera is this far away from you in 6K, how right. little you need to do.
1: Mm-hmm one of the things I was thinking about, I've been watching these a uh, bunch of Australian TV things. And one of the things I love about them is that they always have a making of, uh, which I don't think our shows do, or if they do, I've never seen them. And I, I've, it's fascinating. And you both have a much better feel for this than I do. But when they do the making of, what I'm looking at, is, there'll be some intimate scene of two people having a coffee. There's like 30 people yeah. <laughs> out. It's amazing how many, it's a person told them that the lights and that this, and, and I don't know what half the other people are doing, to be honest, but it's just, and I was just thinking about, because when you're watching it, you're just seeing these two people in this intimate scene. What's it like to be actually in the middle, you know, because the scene doesn't take very long. They do a little shooting and then they break and then they're having the coffee and they're talking. And I was just, amazed. and again, from a work perspective, I was like, that's a lot of people. And I was thinking about all the people that are not, right either not working right now or going back to work under pandemic conditions. And people have no idea how many folks were involved. And it's the same thing in theater. I know just from working with you, Elise, how many people were behind the scenes? And, and that was not a huge production.
2: I learned this principle in the following way. I was scouting locations in advance of our having a locations manager. And I had all these ideas about where- we yeah, should You have come. cards for all these different jobs you've done. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so then we bring the director from Hollywood, show him some of the spaces, which were on location spaces. And he'd say, but where's the crew going to (laughs) go? I completely forgot about that. That's why in studio shooting is so preferred Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you just, it's not too expensive to build a little set but then have the space for 40 people behind the camera.
1: Right, yeah. yeah just amazing. And, 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 it was, and, and I knew that because in, in our film festival, we always roll all the credits. We never bring up the lights. And I, tell, I always have to tell people ahead of time because they're so used to that's what's happened, especially if you have some talent who's gonna do a Q&A afterwards and they'll bring up. And I'm like, not in this festival. We are going to roll all the credits because these are all the people that make the movie. And so a lot of people just—they just don't know because they don't watch, they don't watch the credits. And they, and it's, it's so many—it's just thousands and thousands of folks. And and that's whether it's production, pre-production, post-production—it's a lot of people.
2: Yep, that's why God invented labor tax credits, because <laughs> really, if you employ humans and generate a whole bunch of income tax, the best way for governments to support filmmaking. Is to give some of that income tax back to help fund the films. There are very few jurisdictions that don't have film labor tax credits. And places like Atlanta have just absolutely blossomed as film production centers. Atlanta is arguably a more important film production location than Hollywood. I don't think anyone would support me on that.
1: Because
2: I talked to someone in Hollywood,
0: yeah, like, oh, yeah, we're
2: shooting in Atlanta. We're this in Atlanta. My producers from Atlanta, blah, 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 blah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Hey, so last question before we wrap up. What just as, as somebody who has gone uh, back and forth between the two worlds, what's important about labor film about, about film for labor audiences, folks either watching or thinking about making what's the, what's the importance?
2: Ernest Hemingway said, right about what, in the case of the Winnipeg General Strike and this movie and the stage show on which is based, what makes me most proud because we came from a place where 25 years ago when it was the 75th anniversary of the Winnipeg General Strike, the big museum here had a failed exhibit for the 75th anniversary because The legacy of the strike had been so divisive that 75 years later, nobody came to the show. I always say that the legacy of the general strike was either the cure for baldness or the cause. And at that time, it was definitely the cause. So I took an approach which was not the traditional labor history approach because there are I bet you there's four dozen books that are very academic about the I'll call it dry labor history aspects of the strike. There is minutiae about what was being negotiated, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just so damn dry. So my approach was, how about tell the story from a community that wasn't really represented, and never mind not represented. The guy who died, Mike Sokolowski of the Ukrainian Canadian community, there was nothing. There was no monuments, no nothing, because the shame was so great. They put him in the ground. He mm-hmm. had a little piece of concrete with the number 483 in it, no headstone, no nothing. Through my research, it just so happened that I, I got to lead the charge to get him a headstone. So the point was tell the story from the perspective that hadn't been told before, make it part of the whole story. Of course, it's a story about a general strike and labor history, but work in the immigrant angle and by immigrant Eastern European angle. With the movie, work in the black community who would come from Oklahoma here the indigenous stories of the First World War. So you tell a story from formerly unrepresented parts of the storytelling. So in 2019, a hundred years later, to have seen that full theater in the fall to have had the number one Canadian movie from it, that's the most gratifying artistic thing I ever did. So the lesson is, this is where I'm getting back to Hemingway.
1: Bring bringing it home. He's bringing it home.
2: Take that story from your local area and make it universal. Because they all are. The most gratifying thing I heard was in Washington, a few blocks away from where you are, Chris, we were in the NEA building doing an early screening. It was so early we hadn't even finished colorizing the film, it looked atrocious. But a woman came up to me from, where the heck was it? Her accent, I can't remember, but all I knew was this was not her story. (laughs) She came from somewhere where this was not her story. And she said, my God, your story is our story. God bless you for it. And I just went, "Ah!" So that made me feel like my work as an artist was done. So find your story that no one else will have told because the outside world doesn't care about that story. No one gives a rat's ass about the Winnipeg General Strike, but you can find the universal in that story that's probably forgotten
1: right under your nose. Well, and and Danny that was one of the things I remember I'd seen he showed it you know to us before it was released and I remember when we were looking even recently when we were looking to screen it and I, I've been doing the film festivals here and then up in Rochester for 30 years and I always have to think about how am I gonna how am I gonna pitch this to my audience and some some films are fairly easy and and I was like you know it's about a Canadian, <laughs> people don't even know where Winnipeg is. <laughs> it's 100 years old, about a generalist that nobody's ever heard of. And I just thought, this is going to be, oh, oh. oh by the way, it's a musical. <laughs> right? Yeah which I know I've got, I've got a lease, right? You know, I've got my, I've got my little uh, crowd of folks who will, who will show up for musicals. But I remember thinking, this has got, you know, normally you've got one or two things going for you. Everything that was going for, you know, me is, but in the end is, I think it's been our biggest crowd since. And so I think that there's something about movies. And it's one of the reasons that we wanted to do this, this podcast is that somehow... You can, you know, these stories, and and at least I was thinking about, you know, the jazz operas that you and Steve have done, which are similar, about similar things that people did not know about outside those communities. And even, and then you did the same thing that Danny did. You found these people and these pieces of that story that even probably people who were aware didn't know about. Um, And that something about a movie it gives us access to it. It's a very interesting phenomenon. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a last word to, to my sister here, Elise. Well,
0: oh, I, I think that you basically said it, and Danny said it earlier, it just it gives people more access to storytelling. And that's the essence of film and theater. And even in, yep. in our religious organizations, it's storytelling. History is leaving the web and so that's what you did with stand and you brought forth those voices of those people who would never be heard otherwise to so a much larger audience and that's democracy
2: yeah for sure
0: it's it oh. can arguably be said that
2: film from a technical perspective makes the telling of stories easier mm-hmm. than theater and certainly the reach can be further cuz if you can get it on the web your audience is so wide so that's the advantage of movies
1: over theater for sure mm-hmm. yeah. yeah all right folks danny thank you so much always You're very nice welcome to see nice you to talk to you oh,
0: fun. we'll be talking again okay <laughs> right.
1: see you guys take care bye bye bye
3: Tired of all the people who tell me I should go sit down. I'm sick of being seen as people and being scared in my hometown. When you. down. So now I'm gonna stand on the strength of the shoulders of those who stand up and never back down. These hands have the strength to